volume one chapters ten and eleven of a strange world by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain ten nothing comes amiss so money comes with all the inquest was held at two o'clock and adjourned few facts were elicited beyond those which had been in everybody's mouth that morning when matthew elgood heard of the murder at the bar of that tavern where he took his noontide dram the three penn'orth of gin and bitters which revivified him after last night's orgies james penwin had been shot through the heart by a hidden assassin it seemed tolerably clear that the murderer had taken aim from behind the ragged bushes which divided the low-lying land by the river from the road just at this point there were footprints on the marshy turf not the prints of a clodhopper's bulky boots the line of footsteps indicated that the murderer had entered the field by a gate a hundred yards nearer the city and had afterwards gone across the grass to the towpath here on harder ground the footsteps ceased altogether they were the impressions of a gentleman's soul or so thought the detectives who were anxious to find a correspondence between these footprints and the boots of maurice clissold here however they were somewhat at fault maurice's stout shooting-boot made a wider and longer print on the sward he may have worn a smaller boot last night said smelt but they say up at the inn that he has only two pairs one off one on both the same make i looked at those he's wearing and they are just as big as these this was a slight check to the chain which had run out pretty freely till now true that there seemed little or no motive for the crime but the one fact of the quarrel was something to go upon and the curious absence of maurice clissold on that particular night was a circumstance that would have to be accounted for who could tell how serious that quarrel might have been perhaps the last outbreak of a long smouldering flame perhaps a dispute involving deepest interests further evidence would come out by degrees at any rate they had got their man maurice was present at the inquest very calm and quiet he made no statement whatever by the advice of the local solicitor mr brent whose aid he had not rejected he would have been more agitated perhaps by the fact of his friend's untimely death but for this monstrous accusation that made him iron the inquest was adjourned the facts being so few and mr clissold was taken to ebersham castle a medieval fortress which our modern civilization had converted into the county jail here he was comfortable enough so far as surroundings went for he was a young man of adventurous mind and tastes so simple that a hard bed and a carpetless room were no afflictions to him mr brent the solicitor visited him in his confinement and discussed the facts of the case it's hard upon you both ways said the lawyer hard to lose your friend and still harder to find yourself exposed to this monstrous suspicion i don't care two straws for the suspicion answered maurice but i do care very much for the loss of my friend he was one of the best fellows that ever lived so bright so brimming over with freshness and vitality if i had not seen him lying in that tavern stark and cold i couldn't bring myself to believe in his death it's hard to believe in it even with the memory of that poor murdered clay fresh in my mind poor james i loved him like a younger brother you have no knowledge of any circumstances in his life that can help us to find the murderer asked mr brent i know of nothing he had picked up some people i didn't care about his being intimate with strolling players who are acting at the theatre in this place but my worst fear was that he might be trapped into some promise of marriage i can hardly fancy these people concerned in a crime 
no they are for the most part harmless vagabonds replied the lawyer do you know where mr penwin spent last night with these people no doubt a man called elgood and his daughter the man ought to be called as a witness i should think unquestionably we'll have him before the coroner next saturday and we'll keep an eye upon him meanwhile the inquest had been adjourned for three days to give time for new facts to be elicited your friend had no enemies you say not one answered clissold he was one of those men who never make an enemy he hadn't the strength of mind to refuse a favour to the veriest blackguard it was my knowledge of his character that made me anxious about this elgood's acquaintance i saw that he was fascinated by the girl and feared he might be lured into some false position that was the sole cause of our dispute the other night why did you leave him because i saw that my interference irritated him and was likely to arouse a lurking obstinacy which i knew to be in his nature he was such a spoiled child of fortune that i fancied if i left him alone to take his own way his passion would cool opposition fired him there is only one awkward circumstance in the whole case as regards yourself i mean what is that asked clissold your objection to state where you spent last night i should be sorry if i were driven to so poor a defence as an alibi i don't think there's any fear of that the evidence against you amounts to so little but why not simplify matters by accounting for your time up to your return to-day you only came back to ebersham by the twelve o'clock train from spinnersbury you say i came by that train do you think any of the porters or ticket collectors would remember seeing you not likely the train was crowded with people coming to the races it was as much as i could do to get a seat i had to scramble into a third-class compartment as the train began to move but why not refer to some one at spinnersbury to prove your absence from ebersham last night when my neck is in danger i may do that in the meantime you may as well let the matter drop i have my own reasons for not saying where i was last night unless i am very hard pushed mr brent was obliged to be satisfied the case against his client was of the weakest as yet but it was curious that this young man should so resolutely refuse to give a straightforward account of himself mr brent had felt positive of his client's innocence up to this point but this refusal disturbed him he went home with an uncomfortable feeling that there was something wrong somewhere messrs higlet and smelt were not idle during the interval higlet lodged at the waterfowl and heard all the gossip of the house where the one absorbing topic was the murder of james penwin among other details the spinnersbury detective heard mrs marport the landlady speak of a certain letter which the morning's post brought mr clissold the day he went away it came by the first delivery which was before eight o'clock jane the housemaid took it up to mr clissold's room with his boots and shaving water i never set eyes upon such a letter said mrs marport it seemed to have been all round the world for sport as the saying is it had been to some address in london and to wales and to cumberland and was all over postmarks i suppose it must have been something rather particular to have been sent after him so a bill i dare say or a lawyer's letter perhaps oh no it wasn't it was a lady's handwriting i took particular notice of that any cress or monogram asked higlet no there was nothing on the envelope but the paper was as thick as parchment whoever wrote that letter was quite the lady ah said higlet 
mr clissold's sweetheart very likely that's what i've been thinking and that it was that letter perhaps that took him off so suddenly and that he really may have been far away from ebersham on the night of the murder if he was he'll be able to prove it replied mr higlett who was not inclined to entertain the idea of mr clissold's innocence to earn his share of the reward he must find the murderer and it mattered very little to higlett where he found him in the afternoon of the day succeeding the inquest two persons of some importance to the case arrived at ebersham they came by the same train and had travelled together from london one was churchill penwin the inheritor of the penwin estate the other was mr pergament the family solicitor chief partner in the firm of pergament and pergament new square lincoln's inn churchill penwin and the solicitor met at king's cross station five minutes before the starting of the ten o'clock express for ebersham they were very well acquainted with each other churchill's meagre portion inherited under the will of old mrs penwin his grandmother who had been an heiress in a small way having passed through mr pergament's hands nicholas penwin's will which disposed of penwin manor for two generations had been drawn up by mr pergament's father and all business connected with the penwin's estate had been transacted in mr pergament's office for the last hundred years pergaments had been born and died during the century but the office was the same as in the time of penruddock penwin who inheriting a farm of a hundred and fifty acres or so had made a fortune in the east indies and extended the estate by various important additions to its present dimensions for before the days of penruddock the race of penwin had declined in splendour though it was always known and acknowledged that the penwins were one of the oldest families in cornwall of course mr pergament knowing nicholas penwin's will by heart was perfectly aware of the alteration which this awful event of the murder made in churchill's circumstances churchill had been a cadet of the house heretofore though his cousin james senior by nearly ten years a person of no importance whatever mr pergament had treated him with a free and easy friendliness was always ready to do him a good turn sent him a brief now and then and so on to-day mr pergament was deferential the old friendliness was toned down to a subdued respect it seemed as if mr pergament's eye respectfully raised to churchill's broad pale brow in imagination beheld above it the round and top of sovereignty the lordship of penwin manor very distressing event murmured the lawyer as they seated themselves opposite each other in the first-class carriage this was a comfortable train to travel by not arriving at ebersham till three the race traffic had been cleared off by a special at an earlier hour very returned churchill gravely of course i cannot be expected to be acutely grieved by an event which raises me from a working man's career to affluence especially as i knew so little of my cousin but i was profoundly shocked at the circumstances of his death a commonplace vulgar murder for gain i apprehend committed by some rustic ruffian i doubt if that class of man thinks much more of murder than of sparrow-shooting i hope they'll get him whoever he is said the lawyer if the acuteness of the police can be stimulated by the hope of reward that motive shall not be wanting returned churchill i shall offer a couple of hundred pounds for the conviction of the murderer very proper murmured mr pergament approvingly no you had seen very little of poor james i apprehend he went on in a conversational tone i doubt if he and i met half a dozen times i saw him once at eton soon after my father's death when i was spending a day or two at a shooting-box near bracknell and walked over to have a look at the college 
he was a little curly-headed chap playing cricket and i remember tipping him ill as i could afford the half-sovereign one can't see a schoolboy without tipping him i dare say the young rascal ran off and spent my hard-earned shillings on strawberry ices and pound cake as soon as my back was turned i saw him a few years afterwards in his mother's house somewhere near baker street she asked me to a dinner-party and as she made rather a point of it i went a slowish business as women's dinners generally are all the delicacies that were just going out of season and some elderly ladies to adorn the board i asked james to breakfast at my club put him up for the garrick and i think that's about the last time i ever saw him poor lad sighed the family solicitor such a promising young fellow but i doubt if he would have kept the property together there was very little of his grandfather old squire penwin about him a wonderful man that vigorous in body and mind to the last year of his life i spent a week at penwin about seventeen years ago just before your poor uncle was killed by those abominable redskins in canada i can see the squire before me now a hale old country gentleman always dressed in a lincoln green coat with basket buttons bedford cords and vinegar tops hunted three times a week every season after he was seventy years of age the asherton smith stamp of man the rising generation will never ripen into that kind of thing mr penwin the stuff isn't in em i never saw much of my grandfather said churchill in his grave quiet voice which expressed so little emotion save when deepest passion warmed his spirit to eloquence my father's marriage offended him as i dare say you heard at the time mr pergament nodded assent prejudice prejudice he murmured blandly elderly gentlemen who live on their estates are prone to that sort of thing he did my mother the honour to call her a shopkeeper's daughter her father was a brewer at exeter in a very fair way of business upon which my father who had some self-respect and a great deal of respect for his wife told the squire that he should take care not to intrude the shopkeeper's daughter upon his notice if i hadn't made my will said my grandfather it might be the worse for you but i have made my will as you all know i made it six years ago and i don't mean to budge from it when i do a thing it's done when i say a thing it's said i never undo or unsay the estate will be kept together for the next half-century i think come what may just like him said mr pergament chuckling the man to the life how well you hit him off i've heard my father repeat that speech a good many times answered churchill then you never saw the old squire once only i was a day-boy at westminster and one afternoon when i was playing ball in the quadrangle a curious-looking elderly gentleman with a drab overcoat and a broad-brimmed white hat breeches and top boots a bunch of seals at his fob and a gold-headed hunting crop in his hand came into the court and looked about him he looked like a figure out of a sporting print yet he looked like a gentleman all the same can anybody tell me where to find a boy called penwin he inquired i ran forward what you're churchill penwin are you youngster he asked with his hands upon my shoulders looking at me straight from under his bushy grey eyebrows yes you're a genuine penwin none of the brewer here it's a pity your father was a younger son you wouldn't have made a bad squire 
i dare say you've heard of your grandfather yes sir very often i said are you he i am i'm up in london for a week and i took it into my head i should like to have a look at you it isn't likely the estate will ever come to you but if by any chance it should come your way i hope you'll think of the old squire sometimes when he lies under the sod and try and keep things together in my way he tipped me a five-pound note shook hands and walked out of the quad and that's the only time i ever saw nicholas penwin curious said mr pergament by the way talking of estates what is penwin worth my inheritance seems so remote a contingency that i have never taken the trouble to ask the question the estate is a fine one replied the lawyer joining the tips of his fat fingers and speaking with unction as of a favourite and familiar subject but land in cornwall as you are doubtless aware is not the most remunerative investment the farmlands of penwin produce on an average a bare three per cent on their value that is to say about three pounds an acre there are eleven hundred acres of farmland and thus we have three thousand three hundred pounds but continued the lawyer swelling with importance the more remunerative portion of the estate consists of mines which after lying idle for more than a quarter of a century were reopened at the latter end of the squire's life and are now being worked by a company who pay a royalty upon their profits which royalty in the aggregate amounts to something between two and four thousand a year and is likely to increase as they have lately opened a new tin mine and come upon a promising load my grandfather risked nothing in the working of these mines i suppose no exclaimed the lawyer with tremendous emphasis squire penwin was much too wise for that he let other people take the risks and only stood in for the profits they talked about the estate for some little time after this and then churchill threw himself back into his corner opened a newspaper and appeared to read appeared only for his eyes were fixed upon one particular bit of the column before him in that steady gaze which betokens deepest thought in sooth he had enough to think of the revolution which james penwin's death had wrought in his fate was a change to set most men thinking from a struggling man just beginning to make a little way in an arduous profession he found himself all at once worth something like seven thousand a year master of an estate which would bring with it the respect of his fellow-men position and power the means of climbing higher than any penwin had yet risen on the ladder of life i shall not bury myself in a stupid old manor-house he thought like my grandfather and yet it will be rather a pleasant thing playing at being a country squire most of all he thought of her who was to share his fortunes the new bright life they could lead together of her beauty which had an imperial grandeur that needed a splendid setting of her power to charm which would be an influence to help his aggrandizement he fancied himself member for penwin making his mark in the house as he had already begun to make it at the bar literature and statecraft should combine to help him on he saw himself far away in the fair prosperous future leader of his party he thought that when he first crossed the threshold of the senate house as a member he should say to himself almost involuntarily some day i shall enter this door as prime minister he was not a man whose desires were bounded by the idea of a handsome house and gardens a good stable wine cellar and cook he asked fortune for something more than these if not for his own sake for his betrothed he would wish to be something more than a prosperous country gentleman 
madge would expect him to be famous madge would be disappointed if he failed to make his mark in the world he fell to calculating how long it would have been in the common course of things plodding on at literature and his profession before he would have won a position to justify his marrying madge bellingham far away to the extreme point in perspective stretched the distance he gave a short bitter sigh of very weariness it would have been ten or fifteen years before i could have given her as good a home as her father's he said to himself why fatigue one's brain by such profitless speculations she would never have been my wife she is a girl who must have made a great marriage she might be true as steel but everybody else would have been against me her father and her sister would have worried her almost to death and some morning when i was marching bravely on towards the distant goal i should have received a letter tear-blotted remorseful telling me that she had yielded to the persuasions of her father and had consented to marry the millionaire stockbroker or the wealthy lordling as the case might be who is this mr clissold churchill asked by and by throwing aside his unread paper and emerging from that brown study in which he had been absorbed for the last hour or so a college friend of poor james his senior by some years they had been reading together in the north you must have met clissold in axminster square i should think when you dined with your aunt he and james were inseparable i have some recollection of a tall dark brown youth who seemed one of the family that was young clissold no doubt civil of him to telegraph to me said churchill and there the subject dropped the two gentlemen yawned a little churchill looked out of the window and relapsed into thoughtfulness and so the time went on and the journey came to an end churchill and the lawyer drove straight to the police station to inquire if the murderer had been found there they heard what had befallen maurice clissold absurd exclaimed the solicitor no possible motive the official in charge shook his head sagely there appears to have been a quarrel he said in his slow ponderous way between the two young gents the night previous high words was overheard at the inn and on the night of the murder mr clissel was absent which he is unwilling to account for his time mr pergament looked at churchill as much as to say this is serious young men do not murder each other on account of a few high words said mr penwin i dare say mr clissold will give a satisfactory account of himself when the proper time comes no one in their right senses could suspect a gentleman of such a crime a common robbery with violence on the high road in the race week too when a place is always running over with ruffians of every kind i beg your pardon sir said the superintendent but that's the curious part of the case the footsteps of the murderer have been traced mr penwin was shot at from behind a hedge you see and the print of the sole looks like the print of a gentleman's boot narrow and a small heel nothing of the clodhopper about it the ground's a bit of marshy clay just there and the impression was uncommonly clear churchill penwin looked at the man thoughtfully for a moment with that penetrating glance of his which was wont to survey an adverse witness in order to see what might be made of him the glance of a man familiar with the study of his fellow-men there are vagabonds enough in the world who wear decently made boots he said especially your racing vagabonds 
he made all necessary inquiries about the inquest and then adjourned to one of the chief hotels crowded with racing men though not to suffocation as at the summer meeting you'll watch the case in the interests of the family of course he said to mr pergament i should like you to do what you can for this mr clissold too there can be no ground for his arrest i should suppose not he and james were such friends and then the empty purse shows that the murder was done for gain my cousin may have won money or have been supposed to have won on the racecourse and may have been watched and followed by some prowling ruffian tout or tramp or gypsy it's odd that mr clissold refused to account for his time last night yes that is curious but i feel pretty sure the explanation will come when he's pressed and then the gentlemen dined together comfortably a little later on mr pergament got up to go out there are the last melancholy details to be arranged he said have you any wish on that point as his nearest relation only that his own wishes should be respected his father and mother are buried at kensal green i dare say he would rather be there than at penwyn one would suppose so then i'll go and see about the removal and so on said mr pergament taking up his hat by the way perhaps before it is too late you would like to see your cousin churchill gave a little start almost a shudder no he said i never went in for that kind of thing eleven what then you knew not this red work indeed justina lived through the day and acted at night pretty much as she had been accustomed to act but she saw her audience dimly through a heavy blinding cloud and the glare of the footlights seemed to her hideous as the fires of pandemonium people spoke to her in the dressing-room where she dragged on her shabby finery and dabbed a little rouge on her pale wan face and she answered them somehow mechanically she had lived that kind of life among the same people so long that the mere business of existence went on without any effort of her own she felt like a clock had been wound and must go its appointed time she sat in a corner of the green room looking straight before her and thought how her bright new world had melted away and no one took any particular notice of her mrs dempson had been kind and compassionate and after justina's fainting fit had dabbed her forehead with vinegar and water and sat with her arm round the girl's waist consoling her and reasoning with her reminding her that they had only known poor mr penwin a day and a half and that it was against nature to lament him as if he had been a near relation or an old friend who in sober middle age when the sordid cares of everyday life are paramount who when youth's morning is past can comprehend the young heart's passionate mystery the love which like some bright tropical flower buds and blooms in a single day the love which is more than half fancy the love of a lover of no common clay but the fair incarnation of girlhood's poetic dream love wherein the senses have no more part than the phosphor lights of a rank marsh in the clear splendour of the stars justina kept the secret of her brief dream she thought mrs dempson and even her father would have laughed her to scorn had she told them that the generous young stranger had asked her to be his wife she held her peace and shut herself in her garret chamber and flung her weary head face downward on the flock pillow and thought of her murdered lover thought of the bright handsome face fixed in death's marble stillness and cursed the wretch who had slain him 
mr elgood and his daughter were both subpoenaed for the adjourned inquest the actor who rather rejoiced in the opportunity of exhibiting his powers in a new arena and seeing his name in the papers appeared in grand form on the morning of the examination he had brushed his coat sported a clean white waistcoat and a smart blue necktie wore a pair of somewhat ancient buff leather gloves and carried the cane which he was wont to flourish as the exasperated father of old-fashioned comedy justina entered the room pale as a sheet and sat by her father's side with her large dark eyes fixed on the coroner as if from his lips could issue the secret of her lover's doom she had the most imperfect idea of the nature of an inquest and the coroner's power the jury were seated round the coroner at the upper end of the room mr pergament the solicitor stood at the end of the table ready to put any questions he might desire to have answered by the witnesses on the right of the coroner a little way from the jury sat maurice clissold with a constable at his side nearly opposite him and next to the lawyer stood the new master of penwin manor ready to prompt a question if he saw his solicitor at fault churchill and mr pergament had gone into the case thoroughly together with the spinnersbury detectives and the local constabulary and had their facts pretty well in hand the jury answered to their names and the inquiry began mr pergament interrogating the coroner taking notes of the evidence mr elgood was one of the first witnesses sworn i believe you were in the company of the deceased on the night or rather morning of the murder said the coroner yes he supped at my lodging on that night alone with you no mr dempson and his wife and my daughter were of the party at what hour did mr penwin leave you the actor's countenance assumed a look of perplexity it was half-past twelve before we sat down to supper he said but i can't exactly say how long we sat afterwards we smoked a few cigars and to be candid were somewhat convivial i haven't any clear idea as to the time my daughter may know why your daughter and not you she let him out through the shop when he went away our apartments are respectable but humble over a chandler's and your daughter was more temperate than you and may have some idea as to the time we'll ask her the question presently do you know if mr penwin had any considerable sum of money about him at the time he left you i don't know he had entertained us handsomely at the waterfowl on the previous night and he stood a carriage and any quantity of champagne to the races that day but i did not see him pay away any money except for the standing-place for his carriage did you see him receive any money on the race-course no was he with you all day from twelve o'clock till half-past six in the evening and in that time you had no knowledge of his winning or receiving any sum of money no do you know of his being associated with disreputable people of any kind betting men for instance i know next to nothing of his associations there was an old gypsy woman who pretended to tell his fortune by the riverside the day before the races when he and the rest of us happened to be walking together he gave her money then and he gave her money on the race day when she was hanging about the carriage begging for drink churchill penwin who had been looking at the ground in a listening attitude hitherto raised his eyes at this juncture half in interrogation half in surprise is that all you know about the deceased continued mr pergament about all 
i had only enjoyed his acquaintance six-and-thirty hours at the time of the murder you can sit down said mr pergament justina elgood cried the summoning officer and justina stood up in the crowded room pale to the lips but unfaltering again churchill penwin raised those thoughtful eyes of his and looked at the girl's pallid face not a common type of girl he said to himself End of Volume 1, Chapters 10 and 11